Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad to have you with us on the show this week. We've got Ethan Skolnick senior writer of the Bleacher Report. He's covered the NBA for many, many years, specifically the Miami Heat for nearly two decades. We're going to hear some great insight from him into LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Pat Riley, hear the straight story about LeBron's return to Cleveland, his real relationship with Dan Gilbert, his relationship now with Heat President Pat Riley, Dwayne Wade's relationship with Riley, and his future with the Heat that's coming up on our show today. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, we've got some headlines to discuss this week. How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Enjoying uh, all that is sports right now, currently going on with the finals and the uh, NHL finals as well. Of course, Women's World Cup and uh, a great horse race last weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm not a big horse racing guy, but I've got to tell you, I was pretty excited that uh, American Pharaoh got it done. First horse in 37 years to win the Triple Crown. The horse is now worth a reported $50 million. How about this, Griggs? Almost $320,000 of uncashed Belmont stake tickets because a lot of people bought like the $2 ticket on American Pharaoh to win, and they're saving that as uh, a souvenir for, you know, this is, this is history. But you know, Belmont Stakes, $319,000 richer because people don't claim those tickets. That's kind of interesting. You know, I think rather than framing the ticket, I'll take the cash and, uh, you know, have some do some fun with that. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, if you bet $2, American Pharaoh, I think, went off at 3 to 5 So you're winning, like, you know, 5 bucks. I mean, right. not that that's not some money, but I think for a lot of people, like, the sentimental value of holding on sure. to that ticket but i didn't know that it would add up to three hundred nineteen thousand dollars. that's a lot of money for the belmont stakes folks it is and it was a fun race i mean we've talked about it on our last show it's not something i you know i tune into until it gets to the triple crown and there's a chance for a horse to win then i usually tune into that last race and it was fun and it was, it was cool to see it and who knows i mean it might be the last time in our lifetime that uh this happened so it was kind of fun to see history happen right in front of you and the one thing that I thought was creepy, but boy, they've done this now a few times. The Burger King guy comes and he sits down right behind Bob Baffert, the trainer, and his wife. And you're kind of like, wait a minute. We just saw Burger King guy at the Pacquiao Mayweather fight coming out of the tunnel with Mayweather. What the heck is Burger King guy doing behind Bob Baffert at this stately, prestigious triple crown race? Most people on social media, and social media did light up about Burger King, but they weren't very flattering and complimentary, uh, more along the lines of who's the creepy Burger King guy. So Burger King is doing some guerrilla marketing here, but is it effective? You know, There's some people that say, well, anytime people are talking about your brand, that's great. 
But I would say if they're calling your brand creepy or your mascot creepy, like to me right now, and I tweeted this out at SB Radio earlier this week, the two creepy food mascot guys are the new Kentucky Fried Chicken guy who looks like he's like 20 years old but dressing up as an old dude, the the colonel. Uh, A lot of people from this era don't even know who the colonel is because KFC went away from the colonel for a number of years. And then you've got Burger King guy and then Hamburglar. I think those are like the three, according to my tweets at SB Radio, that are the creepiest food mascots out there. I agree with you 100%. The colonel is just, I mean, that is like a complete joke because we both know that the true colonel, you know, who did it forever. And it's like, this isn't even close. Not even close. (laughs) It's hard to impersonate the colonel. And we know the colonel's dead. So don't try and be, that'd be like if uh, Dave Thomas, who was the longtime face of Wendy's and the founder of Wendy's, who's died. If Wendy said, you know what, Uh, instead of putting his daughter or someone who acts as his daughter, Wendy, in the commercials, we're going to try and uh, find someone who looks like Dave Thomas and convince people that it's Dave Thomas who's come back from the dead to be in the commercials. And by the way, to anyone who works in the food industry, I don't buy food. First of all, I don't really buy fast food at all. Um, the only time I have fast food is with you and we're in L.A. and we go to In-N-Out. Other, <laughs> other than that, um, I just – Mascots don't sell fast food. I'm not going to go buy Kentucky Fried Chicken because I like the Colonel. I'm not buying BK because I like the mascot or McDonald's because Hamburglar, you know, turns me on to a, a hamburger. It just doesn't work that way. But I, they continue to put their marketing efforts towards these mascots. I think it's kind of weird. It is kind of weird and, and, and creepy. Like you said, it is creepy. And I'm not going to go buy a burger because I saw some creepy mascot standing behind a horse, but whatever. <laughs> but there's marketing execs being paid hefty money that are thinking that, hey, these mascots are going to sell our product. I, I just don't get it. All right, we'll get off of that topic. Congratulations to American Pharaoh. Uh, very happy for Bob Baffert, too. Uh, he had waited a long time to have a Triple Crown winner, and he finally has his in American Pharaoh. And, boy, American Pharaoh is a special horse, and uh, you know now American Pharaoh goes to stud. So, uh, that's where they make even more money from their efforts and Triple Crown history. All right, NBA Finals, NHL Stanley Cup Finals, as we record this now, Griggs, each series tied at two. Each series getting very good TV ratings, especially the NBA Finals, which is off to some of the best ratings we've seen for an NBA Finals. So that's good news for the NBA and the NHL. Um, I can't believe the number of people that are tuning in in Cleveland. I mean, I know they're excited about the Cavs, but they're drawing like a 49 in comparison to a 34 rating for the Bay Area. So, you know, it's basically one of every two people in Cleveland has their TV on watching the NBA Finals. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how it all wraps up. It is. And both series, uh, NHL and on the hardwood, are both compelling series. Um, You know, a couple of different markets. you got Chicago, who's a mainstream, and... And by Golden State and Cleveland, it's not it's not the same teams that are in there every year. So I think that helps compel uh, and get audience. And of course, LeBron has all of uh, the state of Ohio watching him because you know he's the king. He's back. He's back. He's home. So uh, anyway, it's just compelling. I, I enjoyed it. It's been a fun series. It's been up and down, so it keeps you kind of watching because there's been comebacks. There's been big leads. And, uh, hey, it's fun. I enjoy it. Well, there's been a lot of, uh, let's say, extracurricular activity in the NBA Finals as well. So game four, beginning of the game, 
I didn't see it, but it was all over Vine and social media. But I guess LeBron may have had his Janet Jackson moment and uh, showed a part of his anatomy that is not suitable for uh, young viewers. So that made the rage on on social media. Again, I didn't see it, but I saw lots of conversation on social media about it. Um, LeBron splits his head open. So now there's talk, hey, do the TV cameras need to move back on the sideline? That really started, uh, you know, a few years ago. Yeah. And then it really kind of heightened again when Paul George got hurt for Team USA, the Indiana Pacers star, and, and snapped his leg. The stanchion was right there, and, you know, cameras are right there. So, you know, I wonder at some point if the NBA is going to look at that and say the players need more of a landing pad and landing space so the cameras aren't right there. But I know they're also trying to bring, you know, quality video and keep you close to the action as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be enough to, to make them look at that, but you never know. I mean, if they might scoot them back another couple feet. But still, I mean, those guys are going so fast. They're going to get in the crowd no matter where you put them. I mean, we've seen guys running, you know, six rows back into the stand. So I think it's going to happen no matter where you put them. And then you'd have to look at the sidelines, too, those court, courtside seats that are sitting right on the edge. I mean, do you move them back? Then you lose revenue because you're losing five feet of seats. I don't know. I, I, just, I don't think they're going to even look at it. By the way, if we have some uh, listeners in the Bay Area, what in the heck? I, I watch game one and two, and I see people who are paying 50 grand plus for courtside seats. And Griggs, every time I see them when the ball is going up and down the court – they're on their mobile devices. They're texting. They're emailing. Like you paid fifty grand for the seat. Watch the game. I know, right? It's Crazy. it's unbelievable to me. By the way, uh, very excited. I've got a trip to the Bay Area coming up in the next few weeks. Griggs, uh, I'm going to get a behind the scenes tour from our friends at Twitter. So I'm very excited about that. I've never been to their headquarters, right. and uh, you know, I think they do an amazing job, especially in the sports space. And uh, really looking forward to uh, meeting with some of their folks and seeing their operation up close. And I think they just uh, their their stock just went up like four percent yesterday. Yeah, it did. It, so it's, they're growing. They're it, growing, and they're moving some. Uh, the CEO or one of those guys is moving around too. So it'll be interesting to see how they move forward. So one of the things I'll be meeting with them about is uh, I think both your account and my account need to have the blue check mark. We need to be verified, Griggs. <laughs> I mean, come on. When I leave there that day, I want to have a deal in place that we have verified check marks. I think that's a great plan. Go for it. <laughs> hey, we're top 100 on Forbes as far as Twitter's concerned. And, uh, you know, I think we deserve to have a check mark. We'll see. And then we also made, we also made the uh, top list for podcasts, sports podcasts. We did. That was a nice honor this week. Yeah. We were in the top 10, uh, must listen sports business podcast. So. Um, we've been around the longest, so I'm glad we're on that list. We've got uh, over 350 episodes I think you can find now dating back to 2006 when iTunes started podcasting. So, yeah, as we always remind people, we're on iTunes, we're on TuneIn Radio, we're on Stitcher app. Um, that's a great way to, to find our show. Women's World Cup is underway. Uh, I will say this, Griggs, listen to this. If, if you're my friend on Facebook, which I know you are, um, you saw that my daughter got a very special delivery this week from a close friend of mine who works in the industry and works with Alex Morgan, but uh, a signed autograph to my daughter, uh, Alex Morgan picture. So that was pretty cool to her number one cool. fan. And, uh, you know, you just start hearing more and more. I'm seeing all the, the kind of vignettes and documentaries about the team. And, you know, certainly the Hope Solo conversation has gotten louder and louder. As far as there's a lot of people 
including Sports Illustrated's Maggie Gray, who had a really good video this week, kind of calling U.S. soccer hypocritical. Um, you know, why does the NFL take heat for all their domestic violence? But U.S. soccer is getting a free pass. Hope Solo is getting a free pass. She's playing. If she wasn't one of the best goalies in the world, would she be on this team with her, you know, legal battles and the domestic violence in her life? It's interesting. I think that's overshadowed a little bit of the play on the field. Um, but you know, I'm all about the, the play on the field as well. And I think it's been good so far. And, and I'm looking forward to continuing to watch women's world cup. I'll be honest with you. And I've said this on the show in the past. I enjoy women's world cup more so than men's world cup. First of all, I know more of the players. Um, and secondly, I just, I think there's more teamwork. Um, I like the ball movement better than I do with the men's game. So, uh, you know, I, I'm excited about women's world cup. I think you're right. I think the women do play more as a team out there. They definitely move the ball around better and pass it more, and it's less of the I'm the star, I've got to get three goals today. It's more of how can this team win the game. And, uh, yeah, I think it's fun. I mean, World Cup action, men or women, I'm tuning in just because it's, it's World Cup. It's fun to see some of these other countries. It's fun to see the stadiums full and the, the colors and the chants, and it looks great on TV. And, uh, yeah, go USA. Canada's done a nice job so far hosting as well. All right, coming Fair up right. next – We've got Ethan Skolnick, senior writer for the Bleacher Report. You know on this show, I've had Brian Windhorst from ESPN on this show. We've had agents, owners. You're going to get the straight scoop. And you want to listen to this conversation that I had with Ethan Skolnick this week because you're going to get the straight scoop on LeBron and his real return to Cleveland and why he returned and his relationship with Dan Gilbert. Is there really trust there? What is LeBron and Pat Riley's relationship like now that LeBron left Miami? Dwayne Wade and Pat Riley. A lot of people wondering if Dwayne Wade's going to leave Miami. I'm not one of them, as you'll hear. But uh, interesting conversation, insightful conversation, coming up next with Ethan Skolnick of the Bleacher Report. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Ethan Skolnick. He covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. He's a senior writer, does a great job. You can follow him on Twitter at Ethan J. Skolnick. Ethan, I know you've been doing a lot of traveling. The NBA Finals is taxing on the journalists as well, so thanks for taking the time to join us. Sure. Good to be with you, Brian, always. 
So you've covered LeBron closely for the past five or six years. Is this the best you've seen him play? I don't know that it's the best. Um, I know everybody's kind of trying to jump to that conclusion, and we can be a little bit of prisoner of the moment um, in this business. Um, it's certainly not his, anywhere near his most efficient. What I've said is it's, it's the most sort of resilient, the most relentless, the most resourceful, if that makes sense. Um, I think that he's doing uh, what, he, what he has to in this particular situation. Um, and I think, you know, when you take a look at him playing now, you know, with, with the cast that he's playing with, um, you know, that, that's what's been impressive to me, is that he, he's not sort of backing away from the situation in any way. I mean, he, he has taken 107 shots in this series. Um, in the 2011 finals, which he famously sort of frittered away to the Dallas Mavericks, he took 90 for the whole series. That was six games. Um, we're three games in. Uh, he's he's on a pace to nearly triple uh, the amount of shots that he took in that series. So I, I think what we're seeing is a guy who has total awareness of his situation, um, who has been in these, these situations before. He's played without stars, you know, basically his entire career in Cleveland when Mo Williams was probably the second best player he ever played with. And so he's going back to some of that, but he's doing it with more force, more passion, more will than he's ever done it before. So it's been perhaps his most impressive run, but again, we've seen him do some pretty incredible things. The 2009 Eastern Conference Finals against Orlando that he lost, probably the best numbers he's ever put up. Um, best I saw him play live was in Boston, Game 6, entire Heat, Big 3 era on the line, scores 45, scores half the Heat's points, totally carries them. The most efficient I ever saw him play was during the 27-game winning streak, 2012-2013, where he was basically shooting 60% every night. Um, he's not doing any of that. Uh, he's basically just putting his team on his back, saying, I'm going to empty the clip here, whatever it takes, uh, to try to figure out a way to, to, to help you guys win. So um, I think it's great in its own right. I wouldn't say it's the greatest he's ever played. Great insight and perspective. I want to talk about the brand of LeBron. You go back to that 2011 NBA Finals that you just spoke about where the Heat lost to the Mavericks. And I remember the post-game presser with LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And LeBron was really cast as a villain and very unpopular with the fans after that series. I know he hired a, a PR guru to help him out. And before this season, he returns to the Cavaliers and home to Ohio. If he wins the NBA Finals leading this injury-depleted team, does it complete the renaissance for LeBron that started right after that Mavericks loss? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's important what you say there, that it started after the Mavericks loss, because I, the renaissance started in Miami. You know, this idea, I think, that's out there that you know, he went back to Cleveland, so everything's good. I mean, look, you know how this works. I mean, a lot of the going back to Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, I'm going back to the kids in the community and all that, all of which would played into it. I mean, he, 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 it appealed to him to try to be the first to win a championship in Cleveland, and he felt he had the tools in terms of his IQ and experience now to be able to do that. But the idea that that was a major reason he went back Obviously, that's you know it's pretty good PR spin. <laughs> um, you know, I, it, it was part of it, but it wasn't all of it. There were issues in Miami, frustrations in Miami. 
um, family concerns, uh, a whole bunch of different things that have gotten less publicity because everybody loves, you know, the, the coming home story. And look, the people who were managing him were very smart. They they knew that people love the coming home story. So uh, that that has certainly helped. It's re- I, you know, I think one of the things that's frustrated me as someone who's based in Miami, um, but is now sort of in a, in a national outlet, is how many people in the national media have kind of flipped their perceptions of him simply because he's back in Cleveland. Some of the things that they were not okay with when he was in Miami, they've sort of changed. And I thought he was unfairly criticized during his time in Miami. I'm not saying he should be criticized more now. I'm saying I think he was unfairly criticized during his time in Miami, uh, basically because you know he made one bad decision, which was listening to the people around him to go on national television and say he wasn't staying in Cleveland anymore. So I, I think that the renaissance started there. I think it continues. Look, this is an opportunity, and, and I know he, he, he you know, blows off the Jordan comparison because he doesn't want to talk about it, but this is an opportunity for him to do something Jordan's never done. Jordan's never led a team like this to the championship, um, you know, a team that's this depleted. I mean, Michael had his horses with him, you know, whether it was Pippen, whether it was Rodman, whether it was Horace Grant, um, whoever his guys were, they were with him, um, a coup coach, etc. Um, LeBron doesn't. Um, I think in some ways it's easier for him to play this way. I wrote a column that's up today where I talked to Dwayne Wade about that last night, that it's easier for LeBron to play without another star. There's clarity. Um, he knows what it is he's supposed to do. He knows what everybody's limitations are. And he plays off of that, whereas, you know, he's playing with an Irving, playing with a Love, playing with a Bosch, playing with a Wade. He feels like he has to defer some to get allow them to get involved. But, again, I think he's been tremendous uh, in this series. I think he's handled himself very well this year. But I think this renaissance was sort of happening over the past three years when you've seen his Q score really recover, um, number one in jersey sales. So I, I think – uh, LeBron's been pretty popular over the past three years. Just a few minutes left with Ethan Skolnick. Does a great job covering the NBA for the Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter at Ethan J. Skolnick. So speaking of renaissance, Cleveland was left for dead after LeBron went to Miami. Dan Gilbert finds it inside himself to apologize or have a mea culpa with LeBron last summer. I've said on Sports Business Radio it's one of the best business decisions Gilbert's ever made. Do you believe the LeBron Gilbert relationship is is completely repaired? Have they, you know, are they singing kumbaya together, or is this just because it's the best case scenario for both of them as a business partnership? Well, yeah, my, my view on this is this is from LeBron's perspective a, a marriage of of convenience. Um, I, I don't I don't think. Look, Gilbert apologized. I, I think all really LeBron needed was some level of contrition. Um, and understanding, and I think his mind was kind of made up at that point or pretty close to made up during that week that he was going back to Cleveland. It was more so just, just prove it to me that, you know, this isn't going to be an issue. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I really haven't seen Dan around that much until the playoffs, to be honest. I don't think that they regularly associate. I mean, I think the, it's pretty clear what this is. I mean, LeBron is uh, – is, is in Cleveland. Um, he's there for his teammates. He's there for the fans. Um, you know, ownership and coaches, like, this is the whole thing I've always tried to make clear about LeBron. Like, 
they don't like we talk about the issues he had with David Blatt, and a lot of those were real. Okay, it may even still be real, but the the they, they don't matter that much to him. Like we make more of them than he does. What matters to him are his teammates. That's all. He perked up this season when they made the trades because he knew the three guys they were getting were going to fit better with him than the guys that he had before, particularly Deion Waiters. So it's about his teammates. It's about the guys he's with on the floor. I, I, he's not trying to win this for Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert happens to be the owner of the team. There's an understanding that Dan's going to have to spend. Um, I think Dan will spend. Um, you know, they, they are if, if Love and Thompson and J.R. Smith and Shumpert and all these guys who have sort of questions in their contract, if they all come back, whether by as restricted free agents or unrestricted free agents or just opting in, um, you know, they may have a, a payroll that exceeds $130 million next year. That's before the luxury tax. Like, that's just what Gilbert's going to have to do. That's the cost of doing business. You know, the, the negotiation for Tristan Thompson is not going to be complicated. Okay, LeBron's already made. LeBron's already negotiated that contract. He said publicly, you know, Tristan is a max guy. They share an agent. How do you think that's going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I mean, that's the thing, Brian. It's like, you know, we we can we can buy into the whole feel good story and go back to Cleveland, and some of that is 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 true from his perspective. He does really care about Akron in particular, and and he has, you know, I always noted that even when he was in Miami for the four years. He was still doing the majority of his, his community work in, in Akron, not, not in Miami. So, uh, look, it does matter to him, but, you know, it, it's not, you know, th- he'll probably hug Dan Gilbert at the ceremony if they win and everybody make a big deal about it, but this is not about winning for Dan Gilbert. It's, it's, it's about winning for his legacy. It's about winning for his teammates. It's about winning for his family. Um, and it's about winning uh, for his community particularly, like I say, in the Akron area, um, that's what is most important to him. Uh, everything else is kind of, uh, to me, I, I sort of all look at it as peripheral to what you know his priorities are. You're based in Miami. You've covered the Heat for a number of years. You know Pat Riley as well as anyone who covers the NBA. You know, I get the sense that... Much like Dan Gilbert when LeBron left for Miami, Dan Gilbert felt like he had given LeBron every tool possible to succeed. And I feel like Pat Riley feels the same way. We gave you every amenity, every tool we could to help you succeed and win championships here in Miami, and he still left. What's Pat Riley thinking these days? Well, the first thing is Pat, Pat unlike Dan, did. <laughs> that's, that's the key difference. Um Pat and Mickey did. Now, I'm not saying that he handled everything perfectly, um, you know, but they they put they they helped him learn how to win. They, they created a platform that was good for them and good for him. It was symbiotic. And uh, so, you know, what is he thinking? He's angry. I mean, I you know I you know I sat down with him, did a piece on him, you know, three or four months, three months ago maybe. I mean, I didn't go in there with the intention of talking a whole lot about LeBron. Pat wanted to talk about LeBron. I mean, a lot of it was about LeBron. Um, you know, he, he's angry. He, he didn't, you know, he feels like LeBron didn't handle the exit uh, particularly well. And, and I think, and again, I, I'm a guy who happens, you know, covers LeBron, and I, I really respect LeBron in a lot of different ways um, and obviously admire his talent. But, you know, on, on that point, from everything I've heard, I, I sort of agree with Pat. I mean, they didn't really communicate. You know, 
Pat was waiting for texts back and emails back, according to him, you know, for the for that entire free agent period, while he was trying to upgrade the roster to complement LeBron. And they feel like if LeBron had had committed to them, that they could have gotten, among others, Cal Gasol. And I, I do, you know, believe that too, based on some conversations I've had with Gasol. So they're 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 angry now. I with that being said, particularly him, not the players, not the players. That's what's been mistaken. That's why. Heat fans can't seem to figure out the relationship between Dwayne and LeBron and between Chris Anderson and LeBron and the relationship that was between Norris Cole and LeBron, et cetera. Look, players are about – fans don't really get this because they want players to be divided by the jerseys that they wear. But pl- players are for players, <laughs> particularly when it's, it's, it's versus management um, or versus a coach. I mean, players relate to other players. The players never had don't I have not found one former Heat player had any issue with LeBron at all, uh, or current Heat player. Anybody who played with LeBron, it, it was it's basically you know a front office thing um, where you had two very strong-willed personalities in Riley and LeBron. They were never as connected as everybody made it out to be. That was partially by design because Pat wanted Eric to be the coach of that team and to have the relationship with LeBron. Uh, so Pat stayed in the background for the most part, but I never felt that they were, were close um, in any way. And then what happened was during the free agent period, you know, LeBron basically, you know, sort of repeated the pattern that happened in Cleveland in 2010 where he had stopped communicating with Gilbert. He likes to shut things down um, during that period of time. If you talk to people around him, they'll say that's just the way he is. Uh, and that it's, you know, it's sort of just for his own peace of mind. He wants to make a clear-headed decision. He doesn't want to be talking to a lot of different voices. And, you know, but in Pat's case, the way he viewed it was, you know, you know, I, I helped create a platform for you. I'm trying to make this team better. Can you work with me? And he wasn't getting any response. So, look, there, there's, definitely, there's definitely some bitterness there. Um, I've said repeatedly I hope that the two of them ultimately – and and work through it because I think that era in Miami was too unique and too special in terms of what they all accomplished for there ultimately to be any bitterness down the line. The fact is, as I've said many times, it was good for both parties, right? I mean, LeBron probably never wins a championship if he stays in Cleveland. Right. right. I mean, the way that things were going, probably never learns how to win a championship, never learns from someone like Dwayne Wade what it's going to require, uh, Udonis Haslam, all the other people that they had that's of that organization probably never wins a championship. Okay, I, I, I believe that if he had stayed in Cleveland, the way that things in Cleveland were going. And with that being said, you know Miami doesn't win those two championships without him leading them. So I, I think it was good for everybody, and, and I'm hoping eventually that they can kind of get through the, the you know the hurt feelings or whatever it is, and sort of the passive aggressive comments that have come from both sides this year. Um, and and move on and just sort of appreciate what they accomplished. Last question before I let you go. Uh, you tweeted out a few weeks ago that other than Dan Marino, Dwayne Wade may be the most popular athlete who's ever played in Miami. I would agree with that. We know that Dwayne Wade is a free agent this summer. There's been a lot of talk about potentially leaving versus staying. Doesn't don't the Miami Heat? You know, you see what they've done with Alonzo Mourning. They've got some legacy guys. Isn't Wade the biggest legacy guy they've ever had? Don't they have to resign him? Yes, <laughs> yes. Particularly when you're promoting Heat Lifer, right? Slogan. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, they boxed themselves in a corner there. I, I wrote all year that I didn't like that slogan. Um, basketball is a tough business, as you know. And, you know, you can try to commit to somebody, and it's not always going to work out. You're not always going to see eye to eye. I think they put themselves in a box there when they've made that their mantra. Plus, it's not really – look, and, and I know, and I know you know Eric well. I mean, it is true in some regards that they've had people who've been in that organization forever. That's all they know. And and there's loyalty there to a core group of people. But there's also a lot of situations where players felt like, you know, as in any organization, you'd find this in all 30 of them, that, you know, the organization had to make a decision. That decision, you know, didn't include keeping them. And – didn't include paying them or whatever it is. So I, I think they box themselves in a little bit there. I, I'll say this, okay, about Dwayne. Um, it's not optional, okay? They have to keep him. Um, I think the karmic effect of him leaving would be much greater than LeBron leaving. Um, they can write this off with LeBron as, well, he wanted to go home or he right. was never totally committed. You, you, you can't make that argument. Dwayne is home. Dwayne is home. Um, Chicago's not home for him anymore. Miami is, and he's repeatedly made the sacrifices. Um, clearly, there was some belief there that he was going to be taken care of for them this summer. I know they acquired Dragic. They have to worry about paying Whiteside. I, I get their concerns. Pat's trying to position himself for a huge run in 2016. But from what I know of the negotiations, and I can't get into all of it, but from what I know, um, Dwayne was more willing to bend initially than he might be now, because I think that he was sort of taken aback by the way that this thing started. Um, and he, he, he had an anticipation that things were going to be taken care of. And then when they weren't, you know how that gets, then you're like, well, okay, screw these guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it harder on them. Uh, and, and I'm going to see, you know, what the public thinks and all the rest of this. And, I just think it would be really, really damaging long-term if Dwayne Wade is playing in any other uniform. No, I totally agree. And the other thing that's an interesting side note, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade share the same agent, right? They do. Yeah, Henry Thomas at CAA. They do. And, and you know, Chris got paid. And, and that's, again, part of this because Dwayne and Chris are very close. Right. Okay, very close. Much closer than they were during the Big Three era. They became closer over the past sort of year, year and a half. But again, the organization went out of its way, and you know, to max Chris out, go over the top, pay Chris, and while Dwayne was waiting, and so you know, there's an understanding there that okay, next year we'll make this right. And if you don't, you know, at least he had that understanding. I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or not, Brian. I don't, you know, it's there are two sides to this, okay, and I want to be clear on that. But he had that understanding that they were going to make this right. And so if they don't, then you can understand why this has become more tense than otherwise it, it should have been. Well, look, you don't opt out of the contract that he opted out of last summer unless you think you're going to be taken care of on the other side, unless you're just a really ignorant business person, and he's not, and Henry Thomas isn't. So, yeah, it, what, you, what you are saying makes total sense that you would think that he's going to get taken care of on, on this side of things. I know you have to run. Ethan Skolnick does a great job writing uh, for Bleacher Report, covers the NBA. Follow him on Twitter at Ethan J. Skolnick. Ethan, good luck the rest of the finals, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks a lot, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for taking the time to join us this week. Thank you to Ethan Skolnick. Great follow on Twitter, Ethan J. Skolnick. Appreciate him joining us from the Bleacher Report. Really good perspective from him. Always insightful. Terrific writer. Want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Doug Zanger, and Diane Penny. Thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, or rate it in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 100 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes for 2014 so thank you to them and uh, we try and keep you entertained in between shows on twitter we're looking for a strategic partner or partners for the sports business radio road show if you want to be a part of our road show where we take our conversation with a marquee key decision maker from the world of sports to university and conduct the conversation in front of a live audience please reach out to me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com that's b-r-i-a-n at sportsbusinessradio.com. Great way to reach the younger demographic, alums who attend our show, and also a way to reach our radio show audience because you get exposure right here on Sports Business Radio. We've had conversations with Baron Davis, with Derek Hall. We've been to UCLA and Arizona State. Uh, Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12. So we talked to movers and shakers on the road on the road show and we'd love to have you be a part of it so again reach out if you would like to uh, expose your brand or have a deeper conversation around sports business radio and the sports business radio road show for brian griggs i'm brian berger have a great week and we'll talk to you soon right here on sports business radio Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.